She talks about getting to the point where she wrote herself out of theater. That's an intriguing phrase. She wrote herself out of theater. Early on, Rosalie Bluston began creating one-person plays to perform herself. A solo show centering on poet Edna St. Vincent Millay, for instance. Drawing on her time in Texas, she developed a cowgirl character, even taking a turn as Queen Elizabeth. In talking to students at Quinnipiac University, Rosalie told the students that all along the way, she'd been wrestling with that fundamental human question. Who am I? Working through identity is the way she expressed it. And when she reached the point where she was prepared to leave acting behind, it would mean that she would no longer assume the roles of others, as satisfying as that may have been, but she would begin to embrace the writing life in which, whether in fiction or nonfiction, she'd tell stories from her own life or from her own imagination, rooted in the identity she had been discovering and forging, and allowing her sense of self to flourish as she matured in her professional and personal life. Just listen to the opening of her powerful memoir, Dying in Dubai, as she and her son race to the Middle East, where her husband lay dying. I lay in a suspended state, barely breathing, reclining in the plush Emirates airline seats next to my son as we hurtled over the Atlantic. Though the plane was traveling at unimaginable speed with a force beyond my comprehension, my body resisted the inexorable movement, as if all five feet of me could stop the inevitable. If we never arrived, we would never have to know. I couldn't eat or sleep, watch a movie, or read. The flight to Dubai would take nearly 14 hours, but time meant nothing. It had lost its reliable rhythm. 14 hours, 14 minutes, or 14 seconds every increment equal to every other, every moment excruciating. We would arrive the next evening, an entire day gone. And with it, what else? I closed my eyes and tried to still my mind and slow my wildly beating heart. I couldn't look ahead to what we might find or back on what we might have already lost, our security, our family life together, my identity. Was I still a wife? What is the question she asks here about identity? Am I still a wife? A fundamental question. Who she was, who she is, who she will become. And Rosalie's voice here is clear the phrases flow rhythmically, the images are strong, the tales draw us in as she creates a liminal space in that airplane cabin where she is no longer this, no longer that. The title of the memoir extends more broadly. It's not just husband Jerry who is dying in Dubai. With her skills as a writer, she helps us experience something of Einstein's relativity of time. Aren't good writers magicians with time? 
Rosalie Bluston stood for at least an hour before an audience of students at Quinnipiac University in October of 2017 as part of a series on creativity and the arts. She was vulnerable and open in that setting, as she has become as a writer without the cover of theatrical characters, and the students were enthralled. Her presence filled the space with a crackling energy. She delighted in their questions and truly listened to them and responded thoughtfully and honestly. Thanks to Mary Beth Voda, a writer and educator from Bradford County, we have the opportunity to experience an afternoon with Rosalie Bluston, multifaceted, multi-talented, award-winning author. On Sunday, November 6th at 3 o'clock at the Keystone Theater in Tawanda, hosted by the Bradford County and Wyalusing Public Libraries and the Keystone Theater. We had a chance to speak by phone with Rosalie about her writing life and her ties to the region. I moved to the Hudson Valley near Rhinebeck, New York, nine years ago. And one of the first things I did was join the Rhinebeck Rotary to meet people and to do some service work. And so years into that, they would always have a speaker come to speak to our lunch group and our members. And Mary Beth came and spoke, and she knew some other people there. And so after her talk, I went up to her, because she said, Tawanda, why losing, whatever. And I went up to her and I said, did you know the Bateses? And they were my husband's grandparents. And she said, yes, yes, I know who they are. I mean, they had been postal workers and, you know, delivered the mail for many years and lived there for 60 plus years. And so we got to talking and then she said, you know, let's have lunch. And I told her what I did. And I think she read my books and we met for lunch. She came back to the area. And we started talking, and she said it would be great to bring you, because of the family connection, back to essentially your husband's birthplace to talk about that book. And then it turns out I'm going to talk about my first three books for her. So the book I wrote about his death and our marriage was called Dying in Dubai. And she read that first, and then she said, yeah, I want to write your other books. And so it's become this thing, but it really was very serendipitous. I walked up to her after that meeting and just said, do you know Walter and Garnet Bates? (laughs) So there we are. And the connections, you just never know when someone walks into a room, whether they are connected in some deeper way to your family history. So I've been delighted, and she's been a wonderful friend and champion all these years now. Did your husband talk about the family, the Bates family, and Tawanda and that area, Bradford County at all? Oh, of course. I mean, when we met in 1981, it was that same. We met in May in New York City, and it was only a few months later that he took me to meet his grandparents. And I remember his grandparents taking us to the Marie Antoinette scenic overlook. Yes, of course. And um, I may have, honestly, I think I met them before I met Jerry's parents because his parents were by that time living out in Salt Lake City. So his grandparents were the first family I met. So yes, it goes way, way back. And I actually, I mean, his his grandmother lived a lot longer than his grandfather, and she became like my grandmother because I didn't actually know my grandparents. And so Nani, we called her Nani, Garnett Bates, but she became very dear to me and, a, you know, just a wonderful person in my life and in uh, 
our son's life, our son Oliver's life as well. So yeah, yeah. Jerry spent Jerry lived there um, until he was about seven, and then they moved to upstate New York. So it was sort of the early part of his life. Before we get to your writing and and the wonderful books that you've just mentioned and that you'll be talking about in Tawanda. I'm curious about this performing aspect because there's a dramatic photo of you on the cover of this memoir, Almost My Life in the Theater. It's recent. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's the one book I'm not talking about this time, although Mary Beth has already floated the idea that I'm going to come back and do that one, (laughs) talk about that one. I was in theater for many, many years, and in fact, when Jerry and I met, I was actually doing stand-up comedy that night. And I left the comedy club, walked across the street to the bus stop, and he walked up, and that was it. (laughs) That's where we met. So I was an actress and performer, and I was writing my own material, so I was writing then as well, but I was writing to perform. So, yeah, my early life was all about the theater. And so the writing was supporting the theater work at that point. Yeah, I was doing a lot of solo performing, you know, just making work for myself, and At that time, very few people did that, but I, you know, I I could write vehicles for myself, and I did one on Edna St. Vincent Millay, and I did one on a Texas character, because I'd spent some time in Texas, and I did one about motherhood, and, you know, it it was a whole evolution. And then years later, when I sort of left acting behind, writing was still there, and I started writing short stories and magazine articles and then books. What a wonderful preparation then for creating characters, right, as a writer. Yes, especially especially with my novel, Trial by Family, which I will be talking about to the group. It was fairly easy for me to get inside the heads of multiple characters because that book is told from nine different points of view. So... It you know that's an actor's job and uh, and you're right that's it, it it is a very important skill to have as a writer to be able to you know imagine the thinking process and all from different characters' points of view. I'm curious because if you're a performer, that's a whole body experience. It's mind, body, soul, and yes. it sounds like you have such power as a writer, perhaps because you're writing like that as well, where you're totally involved. Right. I mean, the emotional, physical, mental aspects of acting are definitely brought to bear in the, in in any of the best writing that you read, especially with something like a memoir or a novel or short stories, which is the third book that I'm going to talk about. But I I do think that the sensory, you know, attention that you pay when you're acting to being present in the moment and to really, you know, imagining the smells and the and, and knowing where you are and the imagining place. All those things help with description and, again, help flesh out characters so that they are three-dimensional. And I, I do. I think that's a very, uh, very good question, very astute question of yours to, to ask, because I think that not every actor can write, but I think there is a sort of a intuitive link between those two art forms. It's a memoir, so it isn't the same thing as creating right. characters from your imagination. But the impulse to write the story about your husband and his death and Dubai was an attempt to make sense or to hold things together, or was it a self-preservation impulse? Well, absolutely. I always work through whatever 
I'm thinking about or dealing with in my life through writing, I would say, and, you know, I get this question a lot when I speak to groups about the difference between therapeutic writing or journaling, for instance, and writing for an audience. And and I always say that, yes, of course, writing this book was tremendously healing for me, but if it had been only meant as therapy, I never would have shown it to anyone. I would have written in journals and put them away, And but I was always aware that I was writing for some audience of strangers who, you know, might learn something and also be moved and helped by my experience because, of course, loss is a universal experience. So I was always aware of that, and so I always felt that, you know, it needed to go out into the world. So, yes, of course, it, it, it helped me but it was meant for readers who don't know me and maybe never would, but they would know this story and perhaps it would affect them and move them and help them in some ways. And I've heard that from many widows and widowers as well. And the fact that you take us into the dark underbelly in Dubai is quite something. It's a real demonstration of your ability to write because you're not just doing that for maybe the widow in Dubuque. Yeah. But you're giving us this real visceral experience of something we probably aren't aware of. Yeah, I think the image of Dubai, and certainly it was my image before I ever set foot there, was of this glitz and glam sort of, and I always describe it as Rodeo Drive on Mars. <laughs> you know, it's like it's in the middle of the desert. It used to be a pearl diving village. And then there's all this oil money, and all of a sudden there's all of these skyscrapers, and it's sort of up from the sand in 40 years. It's this incredibly wealthy place. So it's sort of glitz and glam, but underneath it, and certainly at the time that I was there and that Jerry was there, it, it was essentially a police state. And we don't really talk much about that, but that was the true experience. You don't really know how free you are here and I'm, say, in the United States, until you go to a place like that and you suddenly realize how the legal system is all run by, I mean, it's just totally arbitrary in terms of what judge you get. And women have no status. And, you know, it's just very shocking to find and all the people that you have to, all the problems you have to grease or whatever, even to get something as simple and basic as, say, death certificates. I mean, it was really really, really shocking to go through and just true to the experience. So I felt like there was no way to tell about especially those two weeks in Dubai after he was stricken with what turned out to be a brain aneurysm and coming home after his death, what that was like without really painting the picture of our traveling through six different police stations (laughs) to get the paperwork that we needed. I mean, because police stations are everywhere. They're not just police stations in every building. There's a police station. It's mind-boggling. I heard on one of the video interviews that you've done in the past about the book, you read at the end a section of the memoir, and it was so moving, the image. You Focus on the plates. You tell us about the 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 plates. Oh, my gosh. I I just got a chill. (laughs) It's something simple, setting the table. It's plates, it's things, it's simple, but it was so telling. You know, in writing this book, the book is divided into two halves, and the first half of Dying in Dubai 
is about those two weeks in Dubai from the moment I hear that he's been stricken to coming back home after he dies. And then the second half of the book is really about the widow experience, what it means, what it feels like to walk through widow, early widowhood. And so in that, in those first few months, of course, my, our friends flocked around and Two of my son's favorite teachers were his history teachers who ended up getting married and having children, and they invited us to dinner, my son and I, and, you know, we're sitting there in their beautiful house, and the children are running around, and I'm trying to be helpful, and we're going to eat outside, so I'm bringing out the plates to help them, you know, set the table for our little dinner, and I kept thinking, well, wait a minute, aren't there don't we need five adult plates? There were f- the couple and Jer- and Ollie and I. And I kept saying that until I suddenly realized, without ever having said anything to any of them or to my son until afterwards, oh, my gosh, I was counting Jerry, uh, just automatically. And it just was, you know, it was chilling to me in the moment. Of course, I got through the dinner and, you know, and then sat in the car with my son afterwards and told him what happened. And he said, of course, Mom, we've never been to their house without Dad. You know, and it's, yeah. But it was, it was that I couldn't count. I kept going, one, two, three, four, don't we need five? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that will always live in my mind. And I'm still in touch with them, and they were very, they had no idea, of course, until after they read the book that that had been happening within me <laughs> at that dinner. It's so fundamental. It's such a, yeah. it seems so natural. You're putting plates on the table. Yeah, yeah. And it's the magical thinking that Joan Didion talks about where, you know, you're, you're just slightly, I mean, I certainly wasn't out of my mind, but I was, my, my thinking was distorted. I, I couldn't reconcile the reality that I was there without him with, with the expectation that he was always there. So, yeah, yeah, that was a real, real moment. You'll also be talking about the novel, Trial by Family, and that is some intriguing title, Trial by Family. I think a lot of people, without even reading it, say, I I know about that. Yes, yes. I mean, it's about, it's a story of, you know, need and greed and love and money, and it's kind of part family saga, part legal drama. It's something that a lot of families go through when one parent dies and the other parent remarries, and then something maybe goes wrong uh, in terms of how the inheritance is (laughs) handled. And in this case, the second wife sort of takes the grown children to trial, to a jury trial, all the way to a jury trial. And, you know, it becomes this moment of truth for the grown children to have to stand up for their father, who's now gone, and to stand up for what's right. So it becomes about even more than money and also to, in some way, truly grow up. And I, and I often think you don't completely grow up until your parents are gone, no matter how old you are when they pass. You're always their child. And then, so this is about sort of grown orphans who are having to suddenly be the adults in the room, and the room happens to be a courtroom. So it's a trial a real trial, and then, of course, there are all the little trials involved in, you know, sibling rivalries and the sisters that haven't always gotten along and other things that come, come into play. And, you know, I tell it from multiple points of view, including the dueling attorneys and the housekeeper, and, you know, so it's, and that, was, that was a lot of fun 
fun to write. Does the choice to use different points of view or to work with that, does that intensify? Do we feel, as we should, that life is like that? It's not so simple as black and white. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I mean, even, I think, honestly, even one of the the so-called wicked stepmother, (laughs) you know, You know, I enjoyed getting inside her head and understanding she had been widowed twice before. This was her third widowhood. And she was just sort of done with the whole thing. And she just needed what she needed. And not that that was justified what she did, but I had to use my actor's empathy and say, okay, but this is really where this woman is, and allow the reader to see that. So actually, I mean, sort of the the more difficult characters in terms of being, you know, her lawyer who was kind of sleazy, they were such fun to write, I have to say, (laughs) even more than the more sympathetic people. Did you ever find yourself in the course of writing the novel, speaking the lines out loud from different characters as if you were acting out? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and especially especially in writing the trial scenes, in which there is a lot of dialogue just in order to have a sense of whether the pacing worked and whether it was just too much or too late. You know, I think it it helps, and it helps to have had a dramatic background because these were very dramatic scenes. So, So, yeah, definitely, definitely. And short stories, again, where you're fascinated with character, right, and how we interact with each other, whether it be family, siblings, or yes. friends. Yes, the chocolate jar and other stories is, you know, this was my, this was my pandemic project, <laughs> because, I mean, I was sort of betwixt and between and thinking, what, what do I have enough attention to do? And, and I didn't think I could do a long-form thing at that moment, although I was already working on the theater memoir. But I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go back and reread some of my short stories and see if there's enough for a collection and maybe write some new ones. And, and I thought, yeah, this is about the size of genre that I can work with. And, of course, I'm all, yes, I'm always interested in character. I'm always interested in relationship. And these are, these are all about sort of little transgressions, large and small, and the way sometimes the way the past, past conflicts impact uh, some of them are humorous, and some of them are romantic, and, you know, there's just a lot of different kinds of struggles. And they're, you know, even about little misunderstandings between people or old high, old school friends who never really understood each other, that kind of thing. And uh, it's my lightest work, because Trial by Family is very dramatic, even though there is some humor there. And, of course, Dying Dubai is a pretty serious book. Um, the Chocolate Jar and Other Stories has, there's actually some real laughter in there which I think is fun and, um, you know, I hope people get a kick out of, so I will be introducing that as well. And so when you come to a place like the Keystone Theater in Tawanda, how do you like to do such author events? Well, what I always do, of course, I'm going to immediately tell them some of what I've just told you about my, I mean, I haven't been back to the area since my father-in-law's memorial, which I think was 2016, but my connection to the area. And then, I, you know, I want to give them a little background about my life, theater, and, and my writing life, and then sort of introduce each book and do a few readings. I'll probably do more from Dying in Dubai than anything else, simply because that's the one everyone seems the most interested in. But I will in, interlace with that the writing process. People are always interested in how the book formed. 
Because that book wasn't originally going to be a memoir. It was going to be a collection of widow essays, just little vignettes about widowhood. And then I suddenly realized I had to write about actually what happened in Dubai. And then I realized I had a memoir, not just a collection of essays. So I like to let people in on this and things like Trial by Family was actually written for the most part before the memoir, before dying in Dubai. But it wasn't published until after because in the middle of my working on it, my husband died and I needed to write about that experience. So that became the first published book. So I'd like to intersperse the writing process, the publishing process, and then do readings from each each work. So that's what I'm planning. And then I'll, I always have a Q&A at the end because people always have questions and you never know what they're going to ask. And I always enjoy that the most because it's really fun to hear what potential readers are interested in knowing. I'm sure you're expecting to hear about memories of the Bates. The Bates and, and the Mosiers. Yeah, the Bates' daughter it was my mother-in-law and she's She's still alive. She lives in Virginia. So Janet, Janet Mosier. So, uh, yeah, there may be some of that. And then I'm going to have the books there for sale. So if people want to buy them, they will. But the Q&A is is really fun because I think after people hear excerpts from things, then other things come up in their minds. And I always hear stories about inheritance battles (laughs) from Trout by Family. There's always somebody with a story about something that went wrong after, after a parent went. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to meeting the readers of Pennsylvania. And uh, it's going to be a beautiful time of year to come up there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Award-winning author Rosalie Blueston speaking about her writing life in anticipation of a free talk hosted by the Bradford County Library, the Wyalusing Public Library, and the Keystone Theater this Sunday, November 6th at 3 in the afternoon at the Keystone Theater in Tawanda. Bluston is the author of the memoir Dying in Dubai, a 2016 forward Indies Book of the Year, the novel Trial by Family, a gold medal winner in the 2020 Independent Publisher Book Awards, and The Chocolate Jar and Other Stories, all published by Apprentice House Press, The presentation will focus on her first book, Dying in Dubai, a memoir of marriage, mourning, and the Middle East, about the death of her husband, Jerry Mosier, who was born in Tawanda, Pennsylvania, and was the grandson of Walter and Garnet Bates of Stevensville. So, she will be returning to her husband's roots for this special presentation this Sunday afternoon at 3 at the Keystone Theater in Tawanda. It is free. And for more information on the web, rosaliebluston.com, R-O-S-E-L-E-E-B-L-O-O-S-T-O-N.com, rosaliebluston.com, R-O-S-E-L-E-E-B-L-O-O-S-T-O-N.com. A free talk hosted by the Bradford County Library, the Wyalusing Public Library, and the Keystone Theatre this Sunday, November 6th at 3 at the Keystone Theatre in Tawanda. And it is thanks to author and educator Mary Beth Voda, who was serendipitously introduced to Rosalie Bluston 
So the invitation was made, and the event is this Sunday at 3. RosalieBlueston.com RosalieBlueston.com